instead of doing anything fun and goofy with it, they are just wailing on the Usos with a trombone. So here's this retirement check of $1,416. Randy Orton's such a fucking person. <laughs> it's Hell in the Cell. Well, hello and welcome to Wrestling Academy, episode seven. <laughs> I am your headmaster. My name is Michael Classic, and with me, as always, is the self-appointed homecoming king, Sammy Junio. Sammy, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing great, and I'm with you as always because maybe we're trapped in our own hell in a cell, Michael. That's right. <laughs> Today's episode is all about the the most brutal, the most demonic <laughs> match in WWE history. Sammy, <laughs> when you step inside the cell, it takes years off your career. Are you excited? Are you intimidated? I, I am scared. I am ready. I want to smear your face across <laughs> the chain wall and be like, ah, I'm grating your face like cheese. Yeah, I guess I just want to say the... The group chat has this week become increasingly <laughs> violent. There have been a lot of threats that uh, uh -huh. started as jokes and then just kept going. And it made me feel like something awoke inside of you when we started <laughs> covering the topic, which will be Hell in a Cell today. We're talking all about the history and all about some of the classic <laughs> Hell in a Cell matches. We have released the demons out of the cell and now it's hell on earth and in our group chat of two people. <laughs> well, Michael, we're here at Wrestling Academy because wrestling is an awfully big thing to get into. You love wrestling and you have for very many years. I love wrestling and I've loved it for one year. But the way that you shared it with me was so effective that we're trying to do it to you in the form of a podcast called Wrestling Academy. <laughs> That's right. So if you're new to wrestling or you're just getting back into wrestling, we try to break it down. We jump into wrestling history to, to make sense of it all, make it as easy as possible to share this thing that we both love. And uh, how, how are you feeling this week, Sammy? Because I, just having refreshed myself on the <laughs> matches we're going to be talking about, I got hyped. Yeah, I think it... It's hard to not get hyped after watching this freaking caged brutality. Like, we'll find out later on in the episode how uh, feuds, how wrestlers end up in a cage anyway. And so everything is just escalated. And uh, I am also escalated and elevated. And yeah, this week was quite interesting having having felt the intensity off of my computer screen and trying to osmosis its way um into my heart and ad adrenal glands yeah and i guess it's i mean just, just to confront you just there oh there's been a there's been a darkness about you ever since we got into hell in a cell <laughs> it, it feels like we went into the forbidden section of the book of the library and you've <laughs> You've gone into the, you know, we're we're on this journey of academic scholarship, and then you <laughs> you walked down a dark path, and here we are. Yeah, I amidst I, two tons of unforgiving <laughs> steel, dude. Twenty feet tall. Look, this is what happens when 
when things happen, oh man, that sucked. (laughs) 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 Keep it in. Whatever, man. For people who don't know, today we are going to be talking about the, there's a specific type of match in the WWE specifically called the Hell in a Cell match. And there are normal matches like ones you're familiar with. And then every now and again, there are special matches. They're called gimmick matches. And one of the most infamous for how violent they are in WWE specifically is the Hell in a Cell. So I guess before we jump into the topic, I I was curious, what drew you to this? What what drew you to Hell in a Cell matches to want to cover? And then also, what were your experiences? Had you seen any Hell in a Cell matches before? Or is it just kind of one of those things you hear about and you were curious to know more? Well, really, Hell in a Cell came up in on a wrestling day i think the first one where you showed me uh mick foley and undertaker uh and that was the only gimmick match i think we watched at all and so when we were trying to figure out like what to cover this was top of mind um kind of just because it was one of the first different matches that that i was exposed to and i guess maybe just for the complete layperson mm. if you were to describe a hell in a cell match <laughs> what would what would what would it be what would you call it so normally wrestling match takes place in a ring two combatants how's a hell in a cell match different from what you know well just imagine maybe like kennels that you keep dogs in and kind of blow it up to have the cage fit a wrestling ring and you put two people who don't like each other at all inside the ring and you tell them you you guys can't leave until one of you uh is dead and that's a hell in the cell match <laughs> yeah on, yeah honestly so maybe maybe for someone who's who's wrestling curious you've heard of a steel cage match right it's a a, a wrestling match that takes place inside of a steel structure on all four sides the hell in a cell is a 20 foot cage that is built over the ring and basically anything goes and normally what happens is they reserve these matches for people whose storylines have reached a certain level of anger and vitriol and one-upsmanship to the point where there's nothing brutal enough except for the hell in a cell. And it does feel when you're taking somebody to that match, you're specifically wanting to inflict the maximum amount of violence upon them. Right. Right. It's like enough tomfoolery. This is it now. Whatever happens, happens. This is blood feud territory that we're in. Absolutely. (laughs) Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you kind of wanted to invite someone to into a hell in this cell. Dude, I was at the grocery store earlier today. <laughs> no. And uh-huh. there was just a It's one of those things where you somehow feel that you've gotten out of sync with life and mm-hmm. I could not walk in into an aisle without somebody coming directly middle of the aisle with their cart. <laughs> And it was it happened 
no joke, seven times in a row. (laughs) And it got to the point where I was getting furious. And then as I was driving out, if people were just stopping and checking their phone in the car lane, not moving their carts, driving, but driving in the complete middle so no one could maneuver around. And I found myself wanting to challenge the entire grocery store to a Hell in a Cell (laughs) match to really just really get everyone's asses in line. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sure. You know what? I feel like if you had the resources, would you have just tied all of the available shopping carts together to make your own Hell in a Cell? Absolutely. I I would have loved to. (laughs) Just just wrapped it around and and circled everybody and been like, you're in here with me now. (laughs) Oh, God. You're in my way. Beautiful, You're Michael. going nowhere. <laughs> what about you, Sammy? Is there anybody you want to challenge to a Hell in a Cell match? You know, I had a very, very intense sibling rivalry with my brother growing up. And it didn't didn't end until I was like 14 and we're four years apart. So he would have mm. been 18. And I feel like a Hell in a Cell would have... Uh, would have ended that rivalry, but only in the sense that one of us would have killed the other. <laughs> Damn, we're cool right. now. We're cool now. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, uh, sibling rivalry has absolutely been been the source of a Hell in a Cell match before. So you're in good company. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so I think to understand what a Hell in a Cell match is. I think we need to sort a little bit understand the history of where where it came from. So from what I can tell, the Hell in a Cell match evolved out of a steel cage match. So it just got me really curious about, okay, Hell in a Cell evolved out of a steel cage match. Where did steel cage matches even come from? So I jumped I jumped into deep, deep wrestling history. I found a YouTube video and everything where they basically broke down this cult via cultaholic that the first steel cage match, as far as anybody knows, happened in 1937 Mm -hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was between two wrestlers, Jack Bloomfield and Count Petro Rossi, I believe is his name. And so basically the whole setup of their rivalry was the Count was a bad guy and Mm -hmm. he kept leaving the ring during matches (laughs) and just taking count out victories, I think. And people were getting furious. They hated this guy. So... They wanted to devise a way that the Count couldn't escape, basically. So yeah. they surrounded. It was it was again, the 30s, so this is the first time it had ever been done, but they built this little circle inside the ring, and it was just chicken wire walls. And then these two dudes basically had a cage fight inside <laughs> of a inside a chicken wire, and it was the very first chicken wire match, which was also the very first origin of a steel cage match. Sammy, how are you how are you feeling to hear about this? I I'm imagining like it was the 1930s like hopefully they were or maybe they weren't as brutal as we are now. But I'm I'm imagining them like kind of like like doing that stuff instead of just slamming each other into the chicken wire. And the fact that it was like inside the ring. So it was like one of those like playpen type situations. That's humiliating. Man, in the 30s 
I think doing something like a scoop slam was a huge deal. So <laughs> I don't think that they were going nuts on each other in a steel in a chicken wire cage. Yeah, people were still dying at forty five back then. A scoop slam. Just... Yeah, a scoop slam was the most brutal thing anybody had ever seen. So it was a lot of that kind of stuff, probably inside of a steel cage. That's where it starts. The thirties, chicken wire matches, and it evolves into steel cage matches and i think as it evolves it becomes really popular and i do think hearing steel cage match is one of those things that just gets deep rooted inside of your brain when you think about wrestling and wrestlers you probably think about hulk hogan macho man randy savage steel cages all that kind of stuff and it just got built into the lexicon so as it grew and built and got more popular the rules i think started to get a little more convoluted and we got away from the initial premise of the match which was no way in no way out these people are locked in a cage and so mm -hmm. the it, it became as it evolved in into a match where if you could escape the steel cage you win so right. then it became the way to win a steel cage match is it's like a normal match inside of a steel cage so you get a pinfall you get a submission or you climb over the side of the cage and then they added yet another stipulation later where it's like, hey, regular match, you get a pinfall, do a submission, you can climb over the cage, or you could signal to a referee to open a door on the side <laughs> of the cage and just walk out. And that's another way to win. <laughs> open, please. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, you would basically beat up your opponent and be like, oh, hey, ref, could we open that door? Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm done here, thanks. So it started as this really ominous thing. These guys are locked inside this cage and they can't get out and the level of brutality they're going to do. I mean, we've watched the Lucha Bros in a mm -hmm. steel cage match. Those, those get pretty brutal because people use the metal, use the steel. But I think as it went on, it, it started to get really watered down and it started to get really gimmicky. By the time we get to the 90s, in mm -hmm. WWE. So this is 60 years after the very first steel cage match. We have the classic blue cage from the WWE. How do we feel about that? It really is like when you think about a dog kennel, because a yeah. dog kennel isn't mesh. So a dog kennel is just metal bars. So it's that human sized at plus more. It, it feels like it wouldn't be forgiving it all like we talked last week about uh how ladders like when you hit it there it has no give and mm -hmm. so i'm assuming the blue cage also has no give and yeah. is like uh, i feel a lot more brutal like i watched well i watched triple h and mick foley man it, i'm kind of glad that they went back to like mesh cages because the blue guy is mean yeah, you get thrown into that, you're going to tweak something for sure. Yeah, you're going to literally just just be bisected by the bars. Yeah, or at that point, you could just signal the ref and be like, hey, we got to open that door. I got to get out of here. I'm done now. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Please. So that that's where the, the, the state of cage matches got in the 60 years that they had been created, right? Where they started mm -hmm. as this ominous structure, no way in, no way out. And then it kind of got to... Well, there's a bunch of ways to get in and out. And at a certain point, it doesn't really even seem all that brutal sometimes. Yeah. So they there was a feud that was happening between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in 1997. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to come up with a very special match. And then 
I I found via the Jim Cornette drive through podcast. Okay. The man himself who created the Hell in a Cell match, Jim Cornette, explains exactly how he came up with it. And basically the idea was he felt that cage matches had been getting very sanitized, very watered down. And he wanted to get back to that initial idea that when you are locked in the cage, there is no way in and no way out. His philosophy is that fans thought it was pretty disappointing to watch somebody climb out of a cage. So he thought, what if we created a cage where you couldn't get out? And that's the whole point. (sighs) Shit dog and that was the basis of the idea and then the designs that he created the the designs he was thinking of when he was crafting the idea of the hell in a cell match were twofold so one is in memphis is in memphis wrestling they had a very specific design of their steel cage where Mm. normally the cage Walls are flush with the ring, but sometimes wrestlers have offense that they want to use jumping out of the ring or the turnbuckle or whatever. So the Memphis cages had a little bit of extra room. So instead of flush with the walls, there was maybe five feet around the ring and then they had the cage there and that allowed wrestlers to get some of their outside the ring offense. So I think Jim Cornette saw that he liked that idea. So let's build a cage no way in no way out but it's around the ring not necessarily flush with the ring mm-hmm. and then the other idea he had was a lot base it was based on an 80s wcw match called war games and sammy did you check out a war games match at all could you explain what you saw a war games is where the there are two rings now yeah. And a cage encapsulates both rings. Yes. And I, it's like all, all people are in both rings and they're all going at it at, at one time. Yeah. So there are 12 people fighting in <laughs> with two rings available to them. And then to contain all of that, they build a cage around the entire two rings. And I think what's notable about it is the cages have roofs. So even if you're climbing the cage, you can't get out. So there's absolutely nowhere to go. So I think according to Jim Cornette, those were the two designs, the Memphis cages that were built giving a little bit of room outside the ring. And then the war games, which had a roof. And then according to WWE, there was another famous match that took place in Atlanta called the last battle of Atlanta and it was also a cage match. What was just notable about this one is it was a cage with a roof. And so they just wanted to do the same thing. That was the basis of the very first Hell in a Cell match. They wanted to get back to the roots of what steel cage matches were all about. The most exciting part where it's just two men locked in, anything goes. And then they wanted to improve on the ominous design of some of the cages of the past. And that brings us to the very first Hell in a Cell match, Bad Blood. October 5th, 1997, in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown. We have Shawn Michaels versus (laughs) The Undertaker. Boom. So, Sammy, you watched watched this first Hell in a Cell ever. How did it stack up? Because, again, I, I think the whole point, right, of Hell in a Cell is ominous danger 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 when you watched the very first one did it have that reputation or was it just oh you know 
oh, these guys are going to fight in a hell in a cell. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, was there the gravitas or was it just, how did you feel its introduction? I think the introduction went well. I took a tally of how many times they said no way in, no way out. Well, I started to take a tally because I got really interested in how many times they would try to drive this message into our brains. It was only twice. And then one time someone said one way in and one way out. Who was commentating? It was JR and, and Vince, Vince, right? Yeah. This was a moment of clarity for me is when I saw Vince sitting at the announcer's table with JR and I was like, wait, why why is Vince commentating? And then I looked at the date and the year and discovered that this Hell in a Cell, this first Hell in a Cell was only one month before the Montreal screw job. And I'm only getting super excited saying this now is because in episode one of the podcast, you kind of broke down Vince McMahon's uh, like relationship with being involved and on screen with the WWE. And he was kind of just skirting around and being a, a, a personality, but not really known as the owner yet. So seeing him at the announcement table here, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm learning so much here at Wrestling Academy. <laughs> yeah, when he's a commentator, he's just kind of a buttoned up geek, right? Yeah. He, he's not, like, he's oh, nowhere near the, the, you're fired, ah, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, yeah. the corporation, none of that. Yeah, he was like, he was more tame than JR, and I don't think that Jerry was commentating yet, so we didn't have that. So it was kind of like JR and Vince's commentating was clean, but... JR was the one that was like popping off. This match, I feel like it did, I feel like it did deliver on being a hell in the cell. And what I was excited about was for for this entire episode was seeing the wrestlers kind of take delight in using the cage as another surface and seeing how creative they got. So Undertaker at some point was in the corner with Shawn Michaels and he was slamming him basically against the cage, against the turnbuckles, against the cage, against the turnbuckles. And so we we got that like I don't know, just elevated brutality of oh, there's another surface to hurt your opponent on. And of course, there's they, you know, got the steps involved and there's a point in the match where I got really concerned to the point where I paused the video to check on something. So throughout the match, it there's a little bit of awkwardness that I noticed with the camera guys because, you know, this is the first time they've ever done this. And the camera guy gets in Shawn Michaels' way a couple of times. And at one point, Shawn is thrown out of the ring and he lands on the cameraman. And then he starts like, wailing on him and that's a that's the point where i stopped the the video i was like wait this doesn't feel right and i looked up and i spoiled it for myself because in the aftermath of this cameraman getting beat they unlock the cage and then it turns into there is a way out instead of no way in no way out and uh sean michaels takes that opportunity to get out of the cage and then onto the cage and i think this like i don't know feature <laughs> this feature of hells in the cells i don't know how we're supposed to say that plurally hells I think it's in like, the cell i think it's like geese <laughs> 
heel in the seal? <laughs> yeah. I meant to say moose. <laughs> it's, it's one of the, I was going for a joke, and as soon as I said, I was like, it, nope, you meant moose. You didn't mean geese. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, so in the first he's in a cease. <laughs> in this first he's in a cease, they go on top of the cell, which... I think in in the matches that I watch, that's just what they did. Becomes a defining trait for sure. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is like a, this is a fun new toy. Let's explore all the dimensions. Let's get on top of it. Like, I remember being a kid and maybe being a 34-year-old, like whenever I get something new, I kind of test its limits. And I think that's what these these wrestlers were doing in the beginning. We're like, okay, let's test the limits of this damn cell that they put us in, or rather we put ourselves in with our dumb feud. So they end up on top of the cell and I panic. I panic because it's, it's, well, this cage is 16 feet, 15 or 16 feet up in the air. So it's not the 20 feet that we're (laughs) so used to now. None of them fall off, but at one point Undertaker is dangling (laughs) Shawn Michaels it looks like kind of by the head over the edge and uh yeah that freaked me out a little bit and then like there's there's chair shots and stuff and then at the end where both men are just fucking exhausted somehow for some unknown reason the lights go out and who pops in Michael It'd be motherfucking Kane, bro. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the introduction of, in the storyline, the Undertaker's long lost brother, Kane. And so the the premise of, of the character Kane is that when Undertaker and Kane were children, they lived in a funeral home and the Undertaker set the funeral home on fire and presumably Kane died in the fire. But lately, Undertaker's manager, Paul Bearer, had been taunting him, being like, Kane is still alive and he wants revenge on you, Undertaker. So at this match, the lights go out and then fire shoots out. And then this man who is also seven feet tall, basically the same height as the Undertaker, comes dressed all red, this crazy, ominous mask, silent, and he walks to the ring He rips the door off of the hell in a cell (laughs) and he walks in and just he stands face to face with the Undertaker, who is gigantic. They're Mm -hmm. face to face. Kane hits a tombstone on the Undertaker, (laughs) which no one has ever been able to do, lays him out. And then Shawn Michaels is able to very cheekily go in and sneak and do the victory. So that was the other thing that Jim Cornette said when he created the Hell in a Cell was this entire match type was mm. designed specifically to make Kane look like a huge deal because we set up mm. this structure and we've set it ourselves. No way in, no way out. So they're locked in and this monster appears out of nowhere and there's no way in and, and no way out, but not for him because he can rip the door off of its hinges. Insane, insane amount of strength. I, yeah, wow. Could you, do you think you could rip a door off its hinges or a cage off its hinges? No, of course not. <laughs> in not fact, I would embarrass myself trying. I would throw out my back. 
<laughs> Come on, dude. I tore my ACL just thinking about it. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. After the, the pin is counted out, what I really, it gave me so much delight because Shawn Michaels' theme song is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Sexy boy. I'm not your boy, Joy. One of my, one of my, I listen to that to this day, by the way. <laughs> Good. It, you I know what? It shows. listening to sexy boy constantly. I, I believe it, and I really love that for you, and it makes sense. Also, but, one of my favorite thing is he sings it himself. I know. <laughs> so it's him singing how he's a sexy boy, and he's just he struts out to the <laughs> ring with him. He's not a good singer, and it's just him being like, no. I think I'm cute. <laughs> I know I'm sexy. I got the looks that drive the girls. Wow, I got the moves that really move them. I send chills up and down their spine. And then my favorite part is at the very mm. beginning, there's there are women moaning. And for truly mm. for 20 years, I just thought it was, oh, he's so sexy. The women are moaning about it. But if you listen, they're moaning, oh, 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 Sean. Oh, no. <laughs> they moan his name and then he comes out. <laughs> but anyway, so this crazy sexy boy is playing, but... Shawn Michaels is dead. They're carrying They're his lifeless dead. body out of the ring while while his voice is echoing through the arena. I think I'm cute. And to put a cherry on the top of this crazy wild image of both men dead, uh, China and Triple H are dragging Shawn Michaels' body and almost like weekend at Bernie'sing him a little bit. And bless Triple H for being so on brand and trying, <laughs> trying to do, <laughs> trying to do what he do. Do right by his bro. He's <laughs> he sockets <laughs> onto <laughs> Shawn Michaels is like, like corpse basically, and you can see him. And he's not just he's not just doing a suck it next to Shawn Michaels. Like, oh yeah, we got him. He's doing it on. Heartbreak kid to make He's sure. He's like, look, I know what Sean would want to do right now, <laughs> and he wants you to suck it. It's just <laughs> if he were Friendship awake, like he that, would want man. you. He would want you to know that he thinks you should suck it. <laughs> just what a what a treat at the yeah. end of just massive humiliate hum, humiliating just violence. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think I, I think you'll find Sammy Triple mm. H, pretty bad guy. Uh, <laughs> so this is this. Oh yeah, he's a son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is on brand for him. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's the very first Hell in a Cell, but I don't think that's the most iconic Hell in a Cell. I think the mm -mm. Hell in a Cell that everybody thinks about is actually the second Hell in a Cell, and this one is absolutely crazy. Oh, it's bonkers. It takes place at King of the Ring, June 28th, 1998, between our boy, Mankind, Mick Foley. Yeep. He's in his Mankind persona at this point, and he's fighting The Undertaker. And Dang. I think this is where Hell in a Cell, as a super violent match, gets its reputation. Just right now, I'm thinking, like, it is known for its ultra-violence, but I feel like the violence is just falling off something really tall. Uh, oh, just. <laughs> just. <laughs> just falling 20 feet. Are you insane? What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, Michael. 
I'm in my dark era. <laughs> so here's the thing. Yeah, you have. This is how I know you've embraced the darkness because here, that's not just what happens in this match. Zero fear. Yeah, within two minutes, mankind gets thrown 20 feet off the cell. Uh-huh. He at, then they he gets thrown. He goes back up. He gets mm-hmm. choke slammed through the top of the cell, so he falls uh-huh. again onto the floor. His tooth goes into his nose, and then he still, <laughs> Sammy, goes and gets thumbtacks, and then uh-huh. they fight on the thumbtacks. This match yeah. is not just about throwing people off stuff. Mm-mm. This match is insane. <laughs> it's about thumbtacks. <laughs> it's about. It, it's about violence, dude. It's about. Yeah, you're this right. this match is truly sadistic. I mean, I just I just bullet pointed the whole thing. I think most most Hell in a Cells, when you watch them, they have a traditional match, a traditional buildup. But this one, w- when they enter the ring, they just immediately go up on top of the cell. Yeah. And they fight. Yeah. And then the Undertaker almost immediately throws mankind off of the top of the cell. Not like not like goofy, like, but uh, it's they're they're standing. And the Undertaker is like, Bleh. See you later. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Nice yeah, knowing later, you. Later, dude. And then he just stands there and he, he watches it. Because what are you going to do? What are you supposed <laughs> to do? <laughs> he stands there for so long that the paramedics come and they need to lift the cell a little bit to to allow the team through. So <laughs> The cage is so big He's still that they can't. It. They can't get a stretcher to to Mick Foley, so they have to raise the cage, and then you just see the Undertaker. (laughs) You just see the Undertaker on the cell, and they're raising it, and he just has to stand there looking badass and stoic. And then they they have to maneuver the stretcher. They put mankind on the stretcher. They're getting him. He gets halfway up the ramp, and then he gets up. He's like, "No, no, no! I want to fight!" And then they fucking go back up. (laughs) He goes. They go back up. And it's not 40 seconds after he gets up that he is thrown back through the roof of the cage into the ring. The first time he gets thrown, the first time in this match Mm -hmm. he gets thrown off the cell, he hits a table, which is going to hurt a lot, but it probably has some give, some softening. The second one, he goes through the top and he just hits the ground. They've done so many watch-alongs, talk-alongs, but there's a really nice YouTube video where The Undertaker and Mankind both watch the Mm -hmm. match as (laughs) men in their 60s being like, can you believe we did that? (laughs) It's kind of, it's really cute. It is a nice humanizing thing where you can hear two professionals talk about a night they had at work, you know? But there was a point where I I do think The Undertaker was legitimately like, I don't, I I thought you might have been i thought you might have died when i threw you through that second time because it wasn't specifically supposed to happen like that and i've heard mankind talk about it when he goes through he goes through with the chair yeah and according to him the chair going through helped him not get even more hurt than he already did but it also hit him in the face Uh and it there's a very iconic image where it looks like there's a tack or a booger or something in his nose. It is straight up a tooth. One of his own teeth <laughs> poking through it. his lip and coming out his nose. And that oh. becomes a defining Mick Foley image of him just kind of smirking into the camera with this glazed over look at his face and his own tooth dangling out of his nose. It's <laughs> insane. Dude. In that video that you're talking about, like the commentators during the match are like, oh, and Mankind is smiling, and Mick Foley in that video is like, I was not smiling. <laughs> I was smiling. Here's the thing. I I, tr- I truly believe with Mick Foley, 
his instincts are so dialed in that to him, he's like, I wasn't consciously smiling. A, a, a lot like the Becky Lynch episode mm, yeah. where they're like, oh, did you realize that you were doing this and the other thing? And her being like, no, dude, I had a concussion. Like, I, I was <laughs> out of it. So I think for him, oh my God. he was just in a different state and his instincts kicked out, kicked in as a performer. He's been doing deathmatch wrestling for 15 years before he becomes mankind even. Mm-hmm. So I do think his instincts as a performer of just staying characters, just do it. The muscle memory of a performer is probably there. So yeah. even if he wasn't consciously doing it, I truly believe his his animal brain was like, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> this right. is sick. This is awesome. Well, and those in, you can see those instincts too act again once that final tombstone, Undertaker tombstones onto thumbtacks covers Mick for a pin and then you can see <laughs> Mick Foley's leg go me. Like trying to kick out. It's like, dude. He's down. He's stop. been he's been thrown off the cell two times. He's been hit with chairs so hard, thrown onto thumbtacks, <laughs> and then his body still tries to go like, oh no, I wanna I wanna still fight. It's great. Hold it's on. iconic mankind stuff. I mean, this is why he's our hero. It's not necessarily that he's the greatest winner, but he just keeps on getting up. Yeah, I think just the fact that he did, went through it. He did that because yeah. uh, it, 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 sure it makes the Undertaker look cool and tough, but the Undertaker didn't do any of that shit. The Undertaker no. just the Undertaker did it. Mankind took all of that punishment and still, well, if if, it, if he could have, he would have fought more in that match, which is incredible. That's is, why we love man, mankind. <laughs> That's why we love McFoley. This is a note that I put down, like in the YouTube video of Under, Undertaker and McFoley talking through this match. Undertaker mentions that, oh, my foot was like broken or swollen that match. And so when I was taking notes on this match, I noticed that Undertaker was like limping out of the blue. And I was just like, bro, mankind dropped (laughs) from the roof of a cage and then through the roof of a cage. You maybe got some in, but why are you limping right now? How yeah. Also, j- I, look, uh, somebody breaking their foot, big deal. But I, uh, it, it is a big deal. deal is my point. <laughs> it is a big deal. But I'm also a little bit like, dude. Okay. Oh, I'm so, your foot hurt. I'm so sorry. Did you, did you go go face first on the thumbtacks? <laughs> no, you didn't do that. So to like, be like, oh yeah, man, it was extra hard to kick your ass today. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. I wish. I wish you had been in peak physical condition. <laughs> Who knows what you might have done to me then? Are you care? Are you crazy? <laughs> Fucking a man! But this so this match puts Hell in a Cell on the map. It puts the Undertaker on the map. Puts Mankind on the map. So mm-hmm. in in the very first episode when we watched that episode of Raw, this had happened. So at that point, mm-hmm. I think the legend of Mankind grew. So I think at that point it explains how he got as popular as he did, and also why people thought the Undertaker was as evil as he was <laughs> because we yeah. we've seen what he's capable of. And now we know what Hell in a Cell is capable of. Yeah, we do. And so that was that's where the legend of the Hell in a Cell match was formed. And I think getting into the lineage and how it grows, I think the Hell in a Cell becomes synonymous with The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. And I think to date, he's been in the most Hell in a Cell matches out of any WWE superstar who's ever sense. stepped foot in one. So to date, there have been 52 Hell in a Cell matches in the WWE the Undertaker has taken part in 14 of those 52. So those were the first two Hell in a Cell matches. And I think that's where the legend of these two, of, of this match type grew. And it became 
what it is today. So like we said, there have been 52 Hell in a Cell matches to date. And so me and Sammy just wanted to dive right in. And the format of today's episode is we each chose two of these classic Hell in a Cell matches that spoke to us. And we're going to talk about them in great detail. So that's <laughs> you excited to get to the how, how are you feeling about getting into your Hell in a Cell matches, Sammy? I I feel trapped and there's there's only one way out, baby. Yeah, I feel like my research <laughs> unlocked a new side of me that I, I didn't even know existed. What is it? A vi- uh, just a more violent side. Oh, cool. Sick. <laughs> yeah, sick. Okay. The, the two matches we talked about, the first two, obviously, took place the late 90s. And so for my first Hell in a Cell match... I wanted to take things to just a more modern era to see if there was to see what the major differences were. So the very first Hell in a Cell match that I wanted to look into more was the iconic Hell in a Cell match, October 8th, 2017, at the premium live event named Hell in a Cell. It is a match between the New Day versus the Usos. So this is a tag team Hell in a Cell match. If you were to take a tag team partner into a cell, would it be me? Yeah. Cool. That's how I feel. Cool. <laughs> of course, yeah, of course, dude. <laughs> Sick, dog. Who would I'm gonna we take, fight? I'm, look, uh, for better or worse, I'm going to take you anywhere. So <laughs> are we going to lose? I'd like to think no, but we're going to try. and that's, that's all we can do. In Hell in a Cell, I do not think we would lose. It's like a very ominous thing for you to say. <laughs> yeah, that's right, baby. I'm in my dark era. Let's yeah, go. Dude, that's, dude, that's dark. <laughs> that's so dark what you just said. <laughs> so, Sammy, these are the teams. Mm. So I think because you only recently started watching, I don't I, I think you know the Usos, correct? I do, yeet. Yeah. So how do you feel about the Usos in in the era we're in right now? I mean, obviously. At the time we're recording this, they're they are not a tag team any uh, currently. But how how did you feel about what were what are your are your first impressions of the Usos? They were really cool, in sync, like very brotherly team. They're at the top of their game. They were just synonymous with like tag team champions uh, when I started hearing about them. So I was very impressed and very excited. The other team that they were up against during this feud was a team called the New Day. And I mm-hmm. think at this point on WWE TV, unfortunately, one of the members of the New Day, Big E, has suffered an injury that could be career threatening. We don't know. He So he's been off TV for years and mm. every, every day we're hoping that if he's able to compete again, that he's Big E, we, we love you. We miss you. We would love to have you back. But if you can't, if it's not healthy for you to do it, then we just want you to be successful in anything you do. But yeah. So because of that, the I think the new day has sort of they're not where they used to be because the the old new day was a three person unit. And so mm. now that Biggie is not with us for the time being, then you know it, it's it, it, it's been it's been tough for them to get back to the heights that they were once at, which is unfortunate. So they do exist now. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. But there was a stretch of time where all three of them were injured for a really long time. And so Damn. they were off TV and then Kofi and Woods came back. And then it's just, again, it's been one of those things where it's kind of sad right now where they haven't been able to get in the right groove to start building their momentum back up currently. 
So hopefully that turns around. Going back and revisiting this feud just really made me so, oh man, I miss I miss the New Day so much. These guys are oh, so yeah, you, great. You really, really like them. And this is the first match that I've ever seen them do. Yeah, I, I love the New Day. Huge <laughs> New Day fan. So uh, just to give you a very brief synopsis on who the New Day is, Sammy. They're mm. basically, like most groups, they started off as heels. But at the point we start our story at, they had become so unbelievably popular hell yeah that they, they are just they, they they there was a stretch of time where there there was nothing bigger than the new day where they would have them host wrestlemania they would oh, have wow. them come out just to hang out they would just want the new day there to hang out they were a tag team but there were three people on the tag team and so that was kind of unheard of in the wwe at the time so there's this thing called the Freebird rule, which is there's a tag team way, way back in the 80s around the time of I- Iron Claw, the movie A24, right? There was mm. the Von Erichs and their big rivals were the fabulous Freebirds. So the Freebirds had multiple people. And so the, the Freebird rule means any two members of your team constitute the tag team in the ring. So when the New Day would wrestle, one of the one of the three would just kind of sit out and cheerlead the other two on. And so they, it th- that would get into sometimes they would cheat. Sometimes they would mm. be funny. Sometimes they would just be real big goofball. I, I think the character of the new day in my mind is they're basically the Ninja turtles is kind of how I <laughs> this, so like the Ninja turtles cartoon where they're just kind of a bunch of fun, loving party dudes And so they're just goofballs, but know when and how to turn it serious to when they need to. So it's like, oh, they're really good at fighting, but they're also just really charming, fun loving guys. And so they started their they started their careers as these bad, dastardly heels. But as they became more unpopular, it just was like, yeah, these guys are so unbelievably charming and fun that we just just let them hang out. (laughs) That's all we want. (laughs) So at this point in the story, the New Day are at their height, their absolute height. They're doing whatever they want. They can do no wrong. Sometimes they come out to the ring dressed as Dragon Ball Z characters. Yes. Sometimes they come out dressed as elves. They have yes. cereal with their name with their catchphrase <laughs> Bootios on it. So it's just oh, man. <laughs> they're doing whatever they want. And people are absolutely loving it. They're great. And the, there's this other tag team that's been around just as long. They're called the Usos. And they are also two fun-loving, they're, bro- they're real life, they're twins, they're brothers. And they're, they come out, again, they're, they're in the Anoa'i family, so lineage to the rock, so they're paying honor, homage to their Samoan heritage. They come out with paint and bright colors, and they like come out and they do their best, and they just want to do it. But here's the thing, nobody likes the Usos. Everybody thinks they're oh, kind of chumps. Really? Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So at the Royal Rumble 2016, the fun-loving Usos fight the fun-loving New Day and the New Day win because of course they do. And so the <laughs> Usos go on this pretty long losing streak where people just really, ki- I-, I was watching at the time, people kind of thought the Usos were a joke and oh. we're like, oh yeah, yeah, the Usos, they kind of suck, but you know, whatever. And also this is a stretch of time in WWE where tag team wrestling 
wasn't really a thing that Vince McMahon cared about. So it was hard to get real legitimate, good tag teams. And so because of that, like the Usos were never booked how they should have been. And also there wasn't much for them to do because a lot of times it was, they were one of the very few set out to be and continued to be tag teams. So a lot of times it would be like, Oh, we've got this solo star and this solo star and we put them together and that's a tag team. It, it was very rare to find somebody like the Lucha Bros or the mm. Young Bucks or something that that wanted specifically to be a tag team and achieve tag team goals. So because of that, they fell way down the card. Nobody really cared. And then September 6, 2016, the Usos snapped. They lost to, oh. I believe it was the Alpha Academy. They snapped. They started beating up the Alpha Academy. So they used to be these, these fun-loving twin bros. And then they went from, you know, this colorful presentation to this more, I think, just in line with what they actually wear. It was a lot more streetwear inspired. And so they're like, we're not doing the traditional face paint anymore. We're not dressing in bright colors. We're just coming out in, like, hoodies and, and <laughs> jeans and Jordans and stuff like that. And... They started carrying themselves with a much more serious demeanor. And I hmm. think that jump started them overnight because they went from, oh, these guys are a joke. These guys are for kids to, oh, these are these dudes are bad, bad, bad asses there. It was a lot like, again, it's a formula that worked for The Rock, right? He went from mm -hmm. bright colors. Hey, we're just here trying our best to, hey, I'm going to I want to win. I want to beat the shit out of you. And that's what yeah. they did. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was from there that they were able to start getting their respect and building their way back up the card. And then by the time we get to Backlash, May 21st, 2017. So that, again, this has been like a two-year progression for the Usos. They started, we're fun-loving goof, goofballs. And then two years later, there are these grizzled talk about putting people in the Uso penitentiary, like just really like, right. Hey, we're, we're, we're fucking criminals, dude. Like, like that's what they want. <laughs> they want to, they want to hurt people and they want to, they don't want to mess around anymore. They beat this team called Brizango. The Usos beat the shit out of them. They get the tag titles. And then they're like, look, we got the whole tag team division on lockdown. Nobody can get to our level. And then that, is where the New Day comes back into the equation and they're like, oh, nobody can beat you? And then these two start a rivalry with each other. They go back mm -hmm. and forth. So June 18th, Money in the Bank, New Day beat the Usas. They take the tag titles off of them. Then we go a month later to Battleground. We're in July. The New Day beat the Usos again. They retain the title. So then we go to SummerSlam. The Usos defeat the New Day. They get their titles back. And during this time period, there was something that was built into your contract where if you go after a championship and you lose it, you have you have a rematch clause in your contract. Mm, so okay. the New Day was like, yeah, well, we want to. you guys beat us. We want a rematch. They're like, okay, cool. We'll give you a rematch, but we get to choose a stipulation. Let's have a rematch in a street fight. So then the New Day and the Usos have a street fight. The New Day win. And then the Usos are like, okay, well, we want we want our rematch. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll give you a rematch. <laughs> no. <laughs> at Hell in a Cell. Oh. And that is where this match picks up. This match to me is super important because it is showcasing, one, that tag team wrestling in the WWE is viable. And then mm -hmm. two, that both of these groups are so 
nuanced and complex that they're like, yeah, sure. The new day, they like to party and have a good time. But also when the situation calls for it, they can unlock a new, more violent version of themselves. And I think that's on full display in this match, Sammy. Yeah, there's a lot of violence, uh, a lot of kendo sticks, and then also a lot of instruments. So as soon as the match starts, this Hell in a Cell starts, all the teams roll out of the ring and they just start rooting around for weapons. And so they're pulling out kendo sticks, they're pulling out chairs, and then they pull out a trombone. And so I guess for you, since you don't know anything about the New Day, Mm-hmm. A trombone is a New Day signature. So okay. in real life, one of the members of the New Day, Xavier Woods, is play, played trombone in band ever since the sixth grade. And so I believe it was 2015, they won a match at SummerSlam, and they were going to come out the next night to just be obnoxious and party and do whatever. And they're like, yeah, hey, man, whatever whatever you guys want to do to celebrate, just let us know. And then Xavier Woods is like, oh, is there any way you could... Like, just get me a trombone. (laughs) And so they get him a trombone. And so he, again, to be annoying, walks out playing New York, New York. like. (laughs) And so that was supposed to be the end. That was supposed to be the end of the spot. Like, oh, okay, cool. They're they're being annoying. They walk out doing this. And so Xavier Woods was basically like, I don't think I'm ever going to get this chance ever again. So he walks by the props guy and just stays on the outside of the ring for the whole match. Just kind of playing the trombone every now and again (laughs) and everybody loves it everybody thinks it's so funny it like impresses people backstage they're like yeah absolutely you guys got to keep doing this trombone stuff and so so it's like they use the trombone to distract people but they also use it to mock people i think there's like a pretty I, i listened to a new day used to have a podcast but they they talked about when they were doing it early on they were mm-hmm. setting they were setting a guy up for a finisher and then Xavier Woods just starts playing taps like burr, 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 <laughs> while they're pinning this guy and it, they were laughing they're like we didn't know he was going to do that and it was just we were oh trying not God. to laugh in the ring and it was just vintage new day just really <laughs> really fun creative guys and and so in this match they pull a trombone out from under the ring and instead of doing anything fun and goofy with it, they are just wailing on the Usos with a trombone. In this match, there are just a ton of kendo sticks that they are just wailing on each other constantly. I guess I guess this is my question for you, Sammy. So hmm. you watched a lot of classic Hell in a Cells for yours. This is a mm-hmm. modern Hell in a Cell match. How did you feel the modern Hell in a Cell compares to to those vintage Hell in a Cells that you were watching. What I mentioned earlier about the wrestlers kind of testing the boundaries of the Hell in a Cell and like trying to defy it, I think in these modern matches, they understand you should stay in the ring. And the brutality of the Hell in a Cell match in a modern Hell in a Cell match comes from their creativity with all of the stuff that they stash underneath the ring and how savagely they can run their opponents into into the walls of the of the cage. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a different kind of violence because again, there there's some imagery that happens in this match that I would I would put up against anything in these classic vintage Helena. So like at one point they they pin 
poor Jey Uso in the corner of the cell. And then they get five kendo sticks and they just pin him to the cage with the kendo sticks. And then they like hit him when he's in there. And then Uh he's just kind of powerless to watch while they turn their attention, just start brutalizing his brother with kendo sticks. And so to me, I'm like, that is a haunting image of you can see the, the stick like pushing his teeth and it, it doesn't hurt or bleed, but it is just an incredibly violent looking thing. And then the, the Usos give it right back at a certain point, they get handcuffs from under the ring <laughs> yep. and they handcuff Xavier Woods hands behind his head and they throw his arms over the turnbuckle. So he's just latched to the thing. And so it's just chest stomach exposed. And then they just start caning him with the, with these kendo sticks. So again, it's like, he's not bleeding. He's not getting thrown off the cell, but it's just an incredibly evocative image where you're just like, wow, this is hauntingly violent. What I'm watching. I think what my, one of my favorite spots is when big E takes, I think it's each of the Usos and just runs them into the walls of the cage. He picks up Jey Uso mm-hmm. and he runs from one corner of the cell to the other. So he, he runs the entire distance, slams him into the cell picks him up and he does it again. So it's like he <laughs> runs, slams him, picks him up, runs and slams him again at football player tackle speed is just slamming Jay Uso into the side of the cell. Yeah, I this is this is crazy. It's hell in the cell. Here's another thing I think that makes Hell in a Cell matches feel so violent. The people in these matches are professionals and are very good at being pinpoint precise with their movements. I think sometimes when a move comes through a little sloppy, mm-hmm. to me, I think it adds to I don't think I don't think the guy was able to protect himself. I think whatever mm-hmm. he did hurt him pretty bad. So there's a move where it's Biggie and I think it's Jimmy Uso. They're standing on the side of the ring and then the move when it's when the rock does it, it's called the rock bottom. But when anybody else does, it, it's called an Uranagi. Mm-hmm. But Biggie gets gets Jimmy and he's going to do the rock bottom off of the off of the ring onto the ground. And then Woods runs in from nowhere and slides with his knees up and Jimmy just lands on his knees. Yeah. But again, the timing was just slightly off. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think, to me, added to the violence of it felt extra real. Oh, 100%. Because he wasn't in position, he probably got all of those knees when he landed on him. So it's just there's a there's an element of sloppiness that happens inside of a hell in a cell that, in a sense, makes it all feel more real, because I think you've just added in elements that they're not used to playing with. Yeah. And there's an element of exploring and being like, how creative can I get where they're like, Hey, you know what? I've never seen somebody do. I've never seen somebody get pinned into a corner with kendo sticks. Like (laughs) I've never seen anybody do that. Let's see if it works. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think, For me, I know there are some wrestling purists who whenever a wrestler messes up a move, they're like a real dick about it. But I think it to me, sometimes I think it really adds. And so there are just and I think there's a moment in every single Hell in a Cell match that we've watched and we've talked about where you can see 
you know, if they're up on the cell and then it buckles in a way they're not expecting, you see yeah. the real performer being like, Ooh. oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, fuck. Yeah. And so that's that's what I like about this match, too, is, you know, you're seeing these two tag teams show that like, A, tag team wrestling is incredible. B, that you oh you think the new day we just we just laugh and joke around like we can we can do violent things too and i think the the usos are just like oh nobody respects us so like let's go in here and let's earn this respect so the part i mentioned where they handcuff xavier woods mm-hmm. to the to the turnbuckle so before that they they attempt to handcuff big e as well so He's just running around. He there there he's able to break out of his handcuffs, but Xavier Woods is still doing the rest of the match in handcuffs. Yeah. So he's doing it. So at one point they go to hit their finisher on they do their finisher on Big E and then Xavier Woods still in handcuffs like runs in, <laughs> makes the save, and then it's like they they hit Woods with a chair and then they hit their double finisher on Woods with a chair on top. 1 2 3 Usos pick up the tag titles and I think earned the respect that they'd been looking for since 2016, sure. right? They beat the guys they couldn't beat years and years ago, like two years ago. They beat them finally. They earned their respect and they proved that no other tag team in the division could keep up with the Usos. I mean, this is the first Hell in the Cell match that I watched with a tag team element to it. And it is also the first modern match, modern Hell in the Cell it is a, it is a, it is a lot. It is freaking, there's a lot to take in and a lot of brutality to process. And I mean, you're talking about how you don't know where this darkness this week came from. I think, I think we just found out. It's just, I don't know how to process all of this chaotic, we need to kill each other energy. In most Hell in a Cells, it's one person versus one mm-hmm. person. But in this, because there's double the amount of people, <laughs> yeah. like we were talking about in the in the episode with the Lucha Bros, they can just move a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But then I think what they were doing that was pretty smart in this match was it was just a never-ending series of two-on-ones. So they would find a way... Mm-hmm to incapacitate one of the competitors and then it'd be like, cool, we're going to double up on this guy. And then it would, then it was just like never ending. So it was always these doubly brutal, doubly vicious assaults. And so I think some of the matches will get into brutal spectacles. And I mean, this match certainly had it with all the kendo sticks, but I think it was just the slams and the hits. And they got to that level of scary violence just through the two-on-one maneuvers that they were doing. Yeah, so that's October 5th, 2017. Sammy, <laughs> yeah. where are we going next? So we're dialing the clock back to 2005 to look at the feud between Randy Orton and The Undertaker that ended up in a Hell in the Cell match at Armageddon, December 18th, 2005. So at this point in time, Randy Orton just became the youngest world heavyweight champion at SummerSlam in 2004. And this feud between Randy and Undertaker is credited with, you know, propelling Randy forward. We've talked about moments that have propelled other superstars forward. And around 2004, they were trying to do kind of a babyface thing with him, which really wasn't landing. And so 
I feel like it's just lucky, lucky timing that The Undertaker was basically like, okay, yeah, now that this is the time that we start a feud. So Randy was going by Legend Killer. He was rolling around with Ric Flair and Triple H in a group called Evolution. And he's out there uh, RKOing the fabulous Moolah, Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley. He was actually where he got the World Heavyweight title off of and he's so full of shit and arrogant that undertaker who was on this 12 and 0 wrestlemania streak and randy goes hey undertaker i know that you're at 12 and 0 right now but after wrestlemania you're gonna be 12 and 1. Ah. Oh, so I, I do want to jump in to say two things. One, just the the legend killer gimmick incredible and I think basically what he was doing was specifically targeting those big stars of yesteryear mm. that we think of. That's why he was specifically targeting Shawn Michaels, Fabulous Moolah, all those people like who old have people. <laughs> Yeah, basically old, old people who it, who who are built up in your mind as quote unquote legends. He was like, I'm the new legend. And so mm-hmm. he was building his reputation by being like, Oh, you think this guy's so great? Check this out. So <laughs> what so it made him very bad. He was a very bad guy for doing it. <laughs> and then two, the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak is mm-hmm. I just wanted to underline that because it's a very important facet of the Undertaker, where again, what you're talking about is so when we say he went 12 and 0, that means for 12 years straight, every time he's fought at WrestleMania, he has not lost. So it's crazy. The the more the more wins he has, the more it becomes a thing where it's like, who can beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania? And it's one of those things where it that in and of itself, like we're talking about the Undertaker building the legend of Hell in a Cell. He also builds the legend of himself at WrestleMania where he cannot be defeated. And so that's a whole thing that we could talk about at a different point. But I, again, I just wanted to underline it. So the fact that it's like this guy's making a reputation for himself, killing legends, and then mm-hmm. he's setting his sights on the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. Very bad. He's being a very, very <laughs> bad guy. And I just want to <laughs> underline that for people who might not know. <laughs> this is this is this is evil. He's evil. <laughs> this this is unheard of behavior. Nobody else is trying to stand toe to toe with the Undertaker. But... Yeah, this is unconscionable way <laughs> what Randy Orton is doing. <laughs> But the newest, youngest world heavyweight champion is ready to fight Undertaker. So they end up at WrestleMania. And, I mean, spoiler alert, Randy loses. But he does manage to counter a tombstone, which nobody really does. And he also manages to counter a Undertaker's... Uh, signature choke slam as well. So there was these two big moments for Randy, even though he was not able to stop the streak. And then there's a very important little guest spot in this where Randy Orton's dad, Cowboy Bob, who is a also just a legendary wrestler himself. So he makes a guest spot and he also makes a nod to himself because in WrestleMania number one, uh, Cowboy Bob like basically had a broken arm and 
beat somebody with it at WrestleMania number one. So like Storm's, a cat? He had a cast on his yeah, arm? Yeah, he had, and he beat, he he had a cast. <laughs> yeah. Cowboy Bob's a bad guy, too. I guess where Randy gets it. <laughs> right? Jeez. So he he takes he has a cast on in this guest spot, and he hits Undertaker with with a cast. And I think it's just really important to note because in all of these Hell in a Cell matches or Hell in a Cell rivalries, there's always an interloper that at the end of this rivalry, we need the Hell in a Cell because we have to keep all of your extra buddies and bullshit out. And so through this feud, Cowboy Bob is shoulder to shoulder with Randy Orton, just basically bothering, (laughs) bothering the Undertaker and causing him just just creating chaos for him. And also just to just as an underline to, to illustrate it in people's minds, Cowboy Bob Orton is an old man. So it's <laughs> yeah. not this spry young. It's like an elderly man is interloping and messing with the Undertaker <laughs> in a way where it's like, hey, man, you got to fuck off, dude. <laughs> so after WrestleMania, this opens up their feud. Undertaker is on SmackDown and Randy is on Raw. And we don't see them really clash until I think it's two months of matches and Undertaker is interrupted by Randy and he RKO's Undertaker out of nowhere, which I think is the nature of an RKO. That's how that's how it got the mystique of being able to come out of nowhere. He just sneaks it right in there. Yeah, because I guess, I guess that's the other thing too to put in context, right? Where you hear these these things now, like because now Randy Orton is solidly in the position that the Undertaker was in, where mm. Randy Orton now is older. He's a veteran of the game, so a lot of times he has a lot of the mystique about him where it's like, oh, he can just he can hit the RKO out of nowhere. At the time, he's this young buck who's running in and he's challenging this this legend who's built his career doing all these things. So the fact that he ran in out of nowhere and hit his <laughs> RKO at the time, unheard of. We didn't know what the RKO was. We didn't know that it was a big deal when he hit it. And so this is like the little bits and pieces and building blocks of how somebody becomes a legend now. Do you know what RKO stands for? Randall Keith Orton. Really? Yeah. I so thought it was his initials. I thought it was Randy's knockout. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> Damn it, that sucks. <laughs> that's also so funny. I, I do that too, where sometimes my brain will just fill something in really fast where it's like RKO, mm-hmm. Randy's knockout. Yeah, I'll just run with that. That makes sense. <laughs> Randy kisses Oreos. Yeah, let me never. Yeah, Randy kisses Oreos. Yeah, let me never look this up. That's just what it is because that makes sense. I mean, sense. that's that's how I live my life. All right. So Randy sneaks up on the Undertaker, RKO's him, and then he's like, oh, hey, Undertaker, guess what? I'm going to be on SmackDown, babe. Bye. So now it's time for SummerSlam, and the Undertaker and Randy are just, you know, at it again. And all of a sudden, a fan ends up mysteriously in the ring and is able to just kind of get into Undertaker's way as Randy is kind of like healing from uh, getting pummeled by the Undertaker. And once the fan is shooed out of the ring, 
Randy is able to RKO the Undertaker finally in a match and 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 pins him. He he gets the win. And while Randy is walking out, he catches up with the fan that managed to get into the ring. And he's like, oh, oh, he's with me, he's with me. And then he starts peeling off a disguise off of this fan, and it turns out that it's his dad, Cowboy Bob. Cowboy Bob, you got to get out of here, dude. <laughs> dude, stop interfering. And Wait, so, that was so the, the, the fan, what, the, what, kind of, what kind of disguise are we talking about here? Do you... not, a, not a very good disguise, apparently. So I watched okay. the, the, the mini doc, and yeah, it was just prosthetics. But because Cowboy Bob is very recognizable, they couldn't really do anything but put a brown mustache on him. <laughs> So it's, a guy, so it's like truly a guy in a mustache. Yeah, it's a guy in a mustache and a hat. And I, it, it really was, it really didn't land with the audience because everybody knew it was going to be Cowboy Bob. So they were sure, like, sure. okay. But The Undertaker was so fucking furious. So now just like they're continued to be on The Undertaker's shit list, the two of them. And so after this, after Randy actually pins The Undertaker, he is on one. And we talked about The Rock being really arrogant and crazy for giving Farouk <laughs> a picture of himself publicly. And Randy kind of did the same thing. Well, Randy and Cowboy Bob, because now they're basically a tag team at this point. So Randy's like, ah, oh, Undertaker, I I ended your career. And this is a this is a DVD that highlights your entire career. And me and my dad are gonna sign this and, and auction this off on WWE.com. Nah. And, <laughs> and they leave it up for a little bit and they present the Undertaker <laughs> with a check like uh, on a SmackDown. And they're like, hey, Undertaker. We auctioned off that DVD. I matched the 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 amount it sold for. So here's this retirement check of one thousand four hundred and sixteen dollars. Randy Orton's such a fucking person. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's what not- I this is what I love about vintage Randy Orton is <laughs> he's such a smarmy smarmy asshole, and it just fits him so well because again i I think you you mentioned they tried to come in it's just like yeah you know i'm randy orton but the guy is such a natural asswipe that you just want to be like yeah dude yeah yeah that's such an that's such a dick move (laughs) to be like hey dude don't even worry about it man i matched the donations here's an additional seven hundred dollars what a dick eight (laughs) dollars yeah retire off that man good luck but like this is this fucking hubris is from only beating Undertaker once, basically. He's yeah, like, he's got bro. his ass kicked so many times in this feud, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, I got one over on you, dude. Time to retire." And so, Randy and Cowboy Bob are standing on the on the entrance, giving the Undertaker this check, and the Undertaker is in the ring, just glaring at them. And I, I, I wanted to ask you, like, can you guess what the Undertaker? how how the undertaker reacted so you're randy orton you hand me the check i'm imagining does he do something like (laughs) (laughs) he crumbles it up and eats it (laughs) Uh, 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 
<laughs> oh, I guess I, I forgot to mention that the check was one of those enormous checks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an enormous check of $1,416. I guess my, my, but does he set it on fire? He sets it on fire with lightning. With lightning. Ah! Yeah. So now the Undertaker is a fucking wizard. He lightning bolts this dumbass check. It sets on fire. And after that, I feel like the only next step to these fucking rascals is to challenge them to a casket match, which is another gimmick match that undertaker is very very fond of and for people who don't know the what a what a casket match is is it's literally basically exactly what it sounds like to win the match there is a casket on the side of the ring (laughs) and you have to beat up your opponent so bad that you can throw them in the casket and shut and lock the casket are you claustrophobic at all yeah i think if the undertaker locked me in a casket (laughs) I'd, i'd probably freak out yeah absolutely okay fair I don't think I've ever purported to be a tough guy. You know, I think I would be like, hey, please let me out. man." (laughs) This casket match is special because Undertaker wants to take down Randy and he also wants to take down old ass cowboy Bob. So this casket match is a handicap match between Undertaker and the Ortons. I would be freaked out to be thrown in a casket, but. Also in a casket with my own dad. Yeah, that would that's like a level of that would feel bad psychologically. That would feel bad psychologically, physically, emotionally. And so Undertaker has to get these damn boys into a casket. And unfortunately, he does not succeed. It is still a numbers game. Cowboy Bob is a former wrestler. They end up putting him in the casket, but They don't just put Undertaker in the casket. They're wheeling him out. For some reason, Randy has an axe and starts chopping at the casket. But not only that, there's a giant can of gasoline that Cowboy Bob drags over. He pours it, pours it all over the coffin. And... Randy has a Zippo, lights it, and then lights the casket on fire. They, they're they like, you burned the check. We burn you, dude. Yeah, you burned our check. We're going to murder you. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there. So the Undertaker's dead. <laughs> Survivor Series happens. Randy ends up being the the victor at Survivor Series. And while the entire team is celebrating Randy, a coffin is wheeled out. And then the coffin sets ablaze. And the Undertaker kicks open the door. And the Undertaker is back. And he's not dead at all. <laughs> so you're telling me. They put him in a casket. They set the casket on fire. Uh-huh. And then weeks later... Mm-hmm. A casket shows up at Survivor Series, sets mm-hmm. itself on fire, and mm-hmm. then the Undertaker comes out. Mm-hmm. Kicks that door down. He's so like, he's just here, presumably baby. been in this coffin for, for a month. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just hanging. He's the dead man. He Unbel- dead. That's unbelievable. <laughs> you know what else is unbelievable? What Randy does next to the Undertaker. So 
everything is a blur right now. But what I can tell you is that The Undertaker ends up being forcefully shoved into the back of a car. And Randy backs that car into SmackDown scenery. And the car spontaneously combusts. And so The Undertaker, again, is set on fire. So after the second time Randy sets Undertaker ablaze, it is now time for the final match in this rivalry. Hell in a Cell at Armageddon, December 18th, 2005. The official wrestling stopwatch on this match is 30 minutes and 30 seconds, and shout out to the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Rhode Island, because that's where they are. Yeah, that's where The Undertaker was like, <laughs> you know where, I, you know where I'm going to My final inflict, resting place. <laughs> you know where I want to inflict the maximum amount of violence on Randy Orton? The Dunkin' Donuts Center <laughs> in Rhode Island. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, munchkins. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get a Boston cream donut. After that. <laughs> That's my favorite town. It's the only one I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> you set me ablaze. I'll set you a glaze. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. We're, we're joking around, but this match is fucking crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, dog. It's crazy, dog. It's 2005. The cell is 20 feet tall now, and it is two tons of unforgiving steel. And the match starts out kind of symmetrical where Undertaker grates Randy's face. Then later, Randy grates Undertaker's face. Yeah, and I guess when you're saying that, it's like... Ch chain link fence that's the side mm -hmm. of the cage mm -hmm. they take their face and they just slam it and then they just start dragging your face <laughs> on the cage uh-huh yeah that's it uh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah that is that is a move that i've seen them do or in every match that we've we've watched for for this it's just they they need to get that great spot in <laughs> There was a there was a thing where the Undertaker he pulls out this thick chain, super thick chain, yeah. And and so it's it's just you're watching. I think Randy then gets the chain and he just starts choking the Undertaker. Mm -hmm. So the Undertaker again, the Undertaker is like seven feet tall, but he's outside of the ring, and Randy Orton's just like, oh, oh, like yeah, choking him. <laughs> mafia style with truly chain this thick. It's it's. Yeah, it's thick and, and heavy. And speaking of that chain, one spot that I wrote down was that Randy wraps his hands with the chain and punches Undertaker in the fucking dick. We talk about creativity in these matches <laughs> and just people really let their imaginations run wild. And so I bet Randy Orton was just like, what if, what if I just like <laughs> juicy in the nuts chain, with the chain? Chain, hands. What's no nuts? one, what's, yeah, what's no one ever done with this? <laughs> That's so fucked up. The Randy also splashes Undertaker through a table, and I, I want to ask you, should splashing you through a table be added to the list of possibilities for our YouTube subscriber goal of 1,000? Here's the thing. This is a <laughs> freaky table spot because he, he sets yeah. up the table in the ring. It's it's hard to fully articulate how big these guys are. So They're Randy huge. Orton gets to the top of the turnbuckle and he can touch the top of the cage. And so he can't jump as high as he wants to. So he really has to d like dive, dive. onto yeah. the undertaker. 
And he, again, doesn't get his full weight. And so he clips the edge of the table and it kind of breaks. That's one of those mistakes where I'm like, that had to hurt so bad. Because I think a lot of times it's extra violent when somebody hits a table and the table doesn't break. Mm-hmm. It just takes it to a, a, a realm where you're like, oh, oh, oh. So I know Randy had to be feeling it when he hit the ground. So 100. If you think you could do a frog splash on me, <laughs> you're more than welcome to. I need to admit something to you is that I can't jump like my hop. My my hops height is like like one and a half inches. Damn. Yes. I'm doing a lot of don't. training for this. Yeah. <laughs> definitely don't frog splash me then. <laughs> okay. All right. So Randy pulls the classic Randy and he takes too long to posture. And this results in the Undertaker being able to get out of a corner. And all of a sudden, the referee's punched out. And this is the moment where the cage becomes not so serious. It's like there always seems to be a point in the match where the cage is open a little bit. And so an official goes to check in on the knocked out ref and Cowboy Bob slithers his way in, and we don't necessarily see him immediately involved until Undertaker last rides Randy, which is a power slam, but (laughs) Undertaker goes so high that he always, he, he, like, grips everybody's trunks or pants and, like, wedges them on the way up and then power slams them down so it it's it's like he lifts you up and then boosts you an additional two or three feet and then so you know he's he's seven feet tall so he is dropping you from 10 or 12 feet yeah that's that's fucked up man should i try to last ride you through a table yeah definitely try to yeah absolutely you can't (laughs) you can't do a frog splash but definitely try to give me the last ride hey i can't jump but i can lift 10 pounds (laughs) i'll try to get down to i will try to get down to 10 pounds for you (laughs) the academy recognizes your sacrifice so after this humongous slam it looks like randy is out Uh, the ref is counting him counting out the pin and then Cowboy Bob pulls the ref out of the ring. And not only, he, he doesn't stop there. He starts to beat up on the ref. And I'm like, Cowboy Bob, you've got you've to chill, dog. You've got to chill. And Undertaker just turns his attention to Cowboy Bob. He's like, you know what? Fuck you. And he, he tombstones Cowboy Bob. Cowboy Bob is an old man, but I feel like he kind of deserves it at this point. He kind of deserves it. And also, pretty early on, he gets pulled into the cage and busts his, like, right above his, he busts his eyebrow and is just leaking blood. So this, you're watching this dude in his mid to late 60s, just face full of blood he he's messing with the ref he tries to get in there the undertaker's like you know what dude you could you could get it at this point he tombstones this dude so undertaker tombstones cowboy bob he tombstones randy and it's finally it's finally over he gets a count out and that's hell in a cell armageddon december 15th 2005 
see seeing Randy Orton in his prime, seeing the undertaker in his prime. How did that feel to see? It felt pretty cool. I mean, it was the undertaker in his prime right then. I mean, compared to compared to how long he's had a career, he was about he was about a third of the way through his career. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah, he's been he he was around for a long time. I think yeah, it was really it's really cool. And I in the the research, people talked about like how the Undertaker was really good about bringing like new guys in and putting them over. And I I really feel like even though he didn't let Randy win this one. I do feel like he allowed Randy to pull off like countering the choke slam or countering the tombstone and that uh, like created or that added to the mystique of Randy. So he's not just egotistical. He also can like counter tombstones and even actually tombstone the goddamn undertaker. And I think the reason Randy Orton was getting the, the look that he was getting is because he's so good in the ring. And so mm-hmm. I think the undertaker working with him helped him iron out that presentation to be like, look, the reason the company is so hot on this guy is because he's so good in the ring. We just needed to get the character where it needed to be. So I think working with the undertaker really helped him showcase those skills and then also iron out that character. Yeah. I think my last question here is, how upset would you be if the Undertaker tombstoned your father? Which one? Which one are we talking about? Like my stepdad or my biological dad? Because here, I guess to answer your question, if the if the Undertaker tombstoned my bio dad, that'd be sick. I would love that. But <laughs> okay. if he tombstoned my stepdad, I'd be very upset. <laughs> yeah, nobody tombstones a shark, man. Yeah, absolutely. No way. Okay, Sammy. Mm. That what we did. We each did a Hell in a Cell that we both liked. But here's the thing. Oh. We we both did an additional Hell in a Cell. I think we're out of time <laughs> for this week's episode. We went so long getting into the Hell in a Cell, but we have more in a Hell in a Cell that we want to talk about. So I think I think we should wrap up here okay. and do a two-part episode. So That's fine. We're dropping this one today, and then in a couple of days, you're going to get part two with even more diabolical Hell in a Cell action. So I guess what I would like to say to you right now, mm. or what I'd like to ask you right now is- yes. Final thoughts. How did you feel? Like we got some of the vintage Hell in a Cell. We got one modern Hell in a Cell. How did you feel? What I really wanted to figure out with looking into Hell in a Cell is how much extra brutality can we get by just adding one, two, three, four, five walls? And it turns out it's a lot. Absolutely. And I think that's what I'm constantly blown away by is the sheer amount of creativity. Because again, you're watching physical performance. And so mm-hmm. you're watching a new a new tool being added to the toolkit. And it is very fun to see like, oh, wrestlers are incredibly athletic, incredibly physical, and incredibly creative with how they can present all of the violence to you. And so I think I set out to find out just where the hell in a cell came from. Mm-hmm. And so it did feel really good to dive back into, we went back to the thirties to try to crack <laughs> where yeah, these hell in a, yeah, yeah, to crack where the hell in a cell came from. And so it was just like really nice. It was really nice to just check in and I'm, I'm glad we got to do that. And also 
in true wrestling academy fashion we completely overdid it and so <laughs> we have even more hell in a cell that we want to talk about so we're going to do our very first two-part episode there's no way in and no way out of this yeah. series so we just want to thank you for listening to part one our first ever part one of <laughs> wrestling academy it's hosted produced and edited by me michael classic and you sammy junio you can follow us on youtube TikTok, Instagram, check us out, Wrestling Academy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Spotify, uh, where we do Q&As and polls for every episode. And I mean, I feel like this one is obvious, but what's your favorite Hell in a Cell match of all time? Did we talk mm. about it? Or is there one Is there one we should have talked about? <laughs> <laughs> so we do Q&As polls every episode. Check out our website, wrestlingacademy.university. Yes, that is our real website. Uh, we paid a lot of money for it, and so we would love for you to check it out because we commit to the bit. All right, y'all. Class is dismissed. For, for now. now. We'll see oh. you soon. <laughs> <laughs>